0: About the rhythm of the calendar is that tomorrow isn't just a new day. It's the start of a brand new year. It's the start of a brand new day. It's the start of a brand new week. But coming on these moments that we've got built into the rhythm of our life where we celebrate beginnings and we take time to pause and reflect upon endings, then this is a great time of year to spend some time reflecting, particularly reflecting upon our own lives and reflecting upon what it means to be someone who has chosen the path of the way of Jesus so that they can cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that they are progressively formed into the image of Christ. What what are some things that we might consider and think about as we position ourselves to surrender what was behind and to set our intention for what lies ahead? And of course, it might be a little bit of a cliche to go to this passage of scripture, but that's okay because I like cheesy and I like cliches. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter three. It's a familiar that we've probably read. I mean, it's a passage with which we are familiar with. We've probably read it. Maybe, maybe even we've had some T-shirts or some coffee mugs that have something about it on there. Uh, But let's take a moment and read through this passage in Philippians chapter three, verses twelve through sixteen. We're not going to, of course, look through the whole chapter, but it is important to remember that in the previous part of the chapter, what. Paul is saying is that if any had and if anyone had reason for boasting, it would have been me. And he writes out basically his spiritual pedigree of what would have qualified him outside of Christ to be uh, considered righteous. And so what, what is interesting, I certainly think the idea of letting go of what's behind us in terms of our failure, sin, disappointment, griefs, like, like we've got to process those things and let those go. But what if we In context here, Paul's not just talking about letting go of the past things that make us feel guilty, but also let go of any of the previous good things that have tempted us to build our identity around it. Let those things go as well. 2023 may have been a horrific year for you. Maybe you're here battered and bruised and you're grieving losses and disappointments, but today... We create some space to begin the process of letting it go. But maybe 2023 was a banner year for you. You've succeeded financially. Maybe your health has improved. Maybe your mental and spiritual health has improved. But nonetheless, today, that's also one of the things we are going to create space to let go. Everything that's behind us, we create the space to let that go and set our intention on what is ahead of us. Because... We want to look back on the means of God's grace in our life in a spirit of gratitude, not idolatry. We we, we want to not have the position that now we can kind of coast and relax. Rather, we want to have an anticipatory spirit that says, what does God have for me that's still ahead of me? And so this passage here, let's take a moment and read through these, uh, these verses. Verse 12, Paul says, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. So right from the very beginning in this verse 12, there's a challenge for us as we're going to maybe reflect on Paul's life and even look to him as a teacher and as a model for what it means to be transformed by the gospel. One of the things that's in, that I really, the phrases I like in that verse is that the reason why he's making every effort to take hold of the goal is because he lives from a place of recognizing that he has been taken a hold of by Christ. And we use these phrases like I found God or I found Jesus and that sort of thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those phrases. I'm not knocking down on them, I say those phrases, and I certainly understand that on an existential level, in the process of working out our lives and the way experiences come to us, they certainly, it certainly does feel like maybe that there was a time where I was blind or lost, couldn't find my way, and the Holy Spirit shone the light, and in my search and in my journey, I came to where I found Christ, and that's totally fine. But what happens is, is we begin to think and build our theology and our reflection on our spiritual history back to the day that we found Christ. And so sometimes our, our most intense memory of, of our experience of God might have happened years or decades ago when we, quote, found Christ. And that's a mistake because it was an invitation. It was not the end of the journey. It was the beginning of the journey. And I think that one of the things that we can lose in our rhetoric and in our contemplating of our own life and spirituality is this idea that you were apprehended by Christ before you apprehended Christ. And you may not have been aware of that, but all that it means is that from the time that you were being formed in your mother's womb, at that point, God already chose to set his love upon you. That That's when it became a defining aspect of who we are. And so... As we grow, one of the joys of maturing spiritually and walking with Christ into our latter years is an increasing discovery on the reason why we were apprehended by Christ. And as we discern some of the reasons why Christ may have apprehended us in the first place, then it sets before us a vision of what we ought to be leaning into. So when was the last time that you took this cue from Paul and thought about why you were apprehended by Christ? Because that's what Paul says. My motive for reaching forward and making every every effort to attain the prize is because I remember there's a reason why I was apprehended in the first place. Why did Christ apprehend you? And let me suggest that the answer is actually way more powerful and glorious than so that I wouldn't go to hell after I died. That There is a reason why today... God intervened in the details of your life to allow faith to be birthed in you, to lean into Christ and to pursue this path. And that reason precedes your understanding of his love for you. It was already on you before you comprehended it and his purpose for grasping you was already in place before you were aware that you've been apprehended by Christ. But the switch of the new year, maybe we've gotten distracted. Maybe life has has brought discouragements into our lives. And so this year is a great time. I mean, the changing of years is a great time to pause and reflect on this question. Holy Spirit, why did you claim me as your prize? Why did you intervene and grab me in the first place? What is it that you intend for my life that I now can, by the grace of God, make every effort to press into. So this is kind of the perspective that he introduces here at the very top of this section of scripture. So verse 13 then says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So there it is again. He is not just pursuing Jesus, but he's, he's making his goal, the prize that was promised by the fact that he was called in Christ Jesus in the first place. Verse 15, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. And there's so much more, so much in that little paragraph. But what I want you to highlight is what we put in bold print there in your notes. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God. So when we think about letting go and when we think about forgetting what is behind, that is our invitation to surrender. Surrender, just let it go. And it might be, it might be something really negative that you're ashamed of. Surrender and let it go. But it might be something very uh, it might be something that was a blessing, very powerful, and that you've you've kind of allowed that success to define who you are. Guess what Paul is instructing us? Even those things we, we create space to let go. Forgetting what is behind is how we surrender. Reaching forward to what is ahead is how we set our intention. So let's think about this idea of forgetting what is behind. If you read that previous text, as Paul talks about everything that qualifies him to be just like a, a, a quintessential bona fide Jew, he makes this list of he was born, uh, in, in what tribe he was born into, when he was circumcised, all of the things that would have mattered the most. These were all positive things. And this is the setup for Paul to go in to say, but I'm I'm just letting go and forgetting about what lies behind. So one of the things that Paul is doing here, and it's instructive for us on several levels, is he's allowing his life to speak his life experience to become the metaphor or analogy of what the life of faith is for everyone. And so Paul is speaking very specifically in a historical context, but he's highlighting ideas that apply beyond just that context because they tend to be universally experienced. And here's what I mean. One of the things that Paul's writing about, and again, this becomes such an important idea that I would encourage you to press into in your study of scripture, because I think too often it's been under communicated that one of the significant storylines of the Old Testament Are believers trying to get their minds away, uh, to get their minds around the fact that what has come before has now been fulfilled? It was fulfilled in Christ, and the writers of the New Testament are talking about the fact that it is passing away and will soon be obsolete. Why is that? Because it failed? No, because Christ fulfilled it. And in that fulfillment, there is a universal, uh, inclusive reality that we're supposed to be looking toward, and the way the language uh, the, the language of the New Testament is moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We even have our Old Covenant Scriptures, and we have New Covenant Scriptures. And this storyline of the Bible becomes really important for both understanding our approach to the Bible, that there's a reason why at CCC we don't... See, the Bible as a flat book. In other words, it's not all equally authoritative to all people at all times. There's a history. There's a narrative taking place. That narrative crescendos in the coming of Christ and the revelation of the heart of God in the face of Christ. And the fact that Christ brings the fulfillment of the old covenant and ushers in this glorious new final age of humankind, which is called the new covenant. And we're going to talk a little bit more of that new covenant and what it means next week. But for now, it's important to see this is a critical storyline of the New Testament. And it is frequently talked about. In fact, most of the epistles in our New Testament are arising at some level because of the confusion that's taking place among early believers as they're wrapping their mind around the moving away of the old covenant and the new income and the incoming of the new covenant. And so Paul, Paul recognizes this. And so in this context, let's think about what is behind Paul, not just his personal experience of the Mosaic Code, but the fact that the Mosaic Code was the primary way his fellow Jews would have understood the heart and purpose of God, purposes of God up until that time. But the celebration of the new covenant is the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the incarnation of deity, it is a sign and a symbol that God is doing a new thing. The symbol of that consummation will be the destruction of that temple, which is the centerpiece of that old covenant reality. And that is going to happen around 70 AD in in, in terms of, uh, of history. But what is behind Paul? Not just specifically, but universally. It's a religious experience directed by the laws of Moses. This is the formal world former world of the old covenant that has been fulfilled and is now for them in the process of going away to make way for the new. You know, you hear about the story of the new, the, you hear this phrase, the new and the not yet, or the already, wait, wait, the, the, what's, what is, what's the phrase? New and not yet, already and not yet, that's it. There was an already and not yet reality for them because they are in transition. But this new covenant reality is not something we are awaiting for in the future. For our experience, this is the beautiful world in which we live and breathe and have our being. We are not waiting in the same way that they were filling a tension of waiting. But for Paul, he's recognizing there's a former reality that's coming to pass. And this process is in place for the making way of the new. Paul and the Philippians are living. Oh, there's my phrase. I should have looked at my notes. Paul and the Philippians are living in the now and not yet of the new covenant age. But Paul is also being very specific because he's using his autobiography as his primary example for what this looks like. And essentially what Paul is revealing to us is this one gold nugget of wisdom, which is he is not allowing his past life to define his present identity. He is not allowing his past life to define his present identity. And that's not just the past life that includes sinful choices. That's also all the good in the name of religion or in the name of growth or whatever he has experienced. That is also not what is presently defining his identity. What is presently defining his identity is that he's been apprehended by Christ and he's setting his intention to apprehend Christ. That is the centerpiece of his present identity. And this becomes very instructive for us because everything that Paul lists, both the positive and the negative, these are all behaviors that he performed. And one of the things that we need to pause and recognize as we think about our spiritual formation is we need to think about some of these ancient ideas that are in all kinds of wisdom literatures, which is particularly how is our identity formed? Or perhaps another way of using the language would be how is it that our ego is formed? Our ego, our identity tends to be formed off of the principle of performance-based acceptance. And I'm not saying that that's completely unreasonable. If you're in a job, the reason why you get compensated is because you perform at a certain level. The reason why Gary Maytubby and I are friends is because we don't make it a habit of insulting one another, at least not to our faces, right? And, and or or maybe even punching each other in the face. Now, if we did that, if one of us did that on a regular basis, we would not be very close friends, but we don't do that. So, so there is a reality. The world operates on a performance-based reality. It's the first kind of reality that we learn subconsciously as infants. The first conscious reality we have is that certain behaviors elicit certain response responses. Now, those responses... Are a variety depending on the functionality of the atmospheres in which we grow up. But whether it's functional or dysfunctional, what we learn from our earliest memories is what we get and experience is rooted in how we behave. This is why to be saved, you've got to be born again. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy. You have to awaken to a world where your worth is not rooted in your performance. The rest of the world works this way, but the kingdom of God takes the principles of this world and turns them upside down on their hands. To awaken to the kingdom of God is to be born again into a new reality where I begin to progressively understand that who I am and my worth is not rooted in my performance because God does not relate to us based on performance-based acceptance. Performance-based acceptance forms the construction of our ego identity, but this is separate from our identity in Christ and the reason why God will not respond to us based on our performance is because we will capture that in the bottle and make it our idolatry. Because what we are looking for is answers. God is inviting us to dance with him in the mystery. And you don't get to do both. You've got to choose which one it is you're going to give your heart over to. God will not affirm the shame and pride our ego identity is attached to because they're an illusion and a lie, which is why whether that identity is formed by moral choices or immoral choices, we have to routinely shed the skin. We have to routinely be willing to let it go and forget what is behind. God does not relate to us based on performance-based acceptance. He relates to us from the dignity of being his children that reflect his image. Now, how did Paul break free from that cycle? Well, he broke free based on his testimony by experiencing not a message about Christ, not by affirming beliefs about Christ, but through the experience of Jesus being revealed in him. This is how Paul is set free. And I would suggest to you, we are not made free by perfecting our beliefs about Christ. We are not made free just by reflecting on stories about Christ. These things can help us in our journey, and I don't disdain the help that they can provide. But ultimately, we're not free from beliefs and stories. We are set free because we live into the experience of Christ being revealed within. And so he testifies to this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son, what? What's it say? In me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. You see, he doesn't say when God was ready to reveal the Son to me. That is not what he says. He says, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me. This, my friends, is the experience of salvation. This, my friends, is becomes the new construction of our identity and understanding who we are and what we're intended to do with our lives. It flows from the experience of Christ being revealed within. So we ask ourselves not simply the easy question of what do we believe about God, what do we believe about spirituality, but we ask ourselves how have we encountered God? How has that encounter affected you? If the scriptures mean anything to us, it it should not be that we read these stories and then live vicariously through them. They are an invitation of what is extended to all of us. And if we read the scriptures, we begin to soak ourselves in these stories and these narratives from the beginning and the old covenant stories in the Old Testament to the transition and new covenant stories in the New Testament. One thing is consistent. God encounters people and that encounter alters who they become. And we have that same invitation. It is a mistake to to replace ideology with the experience of intimacy because that's what our birthright is and so how have you encountered him how has that encounter affected you and what I want to know is how have you encountered it? and it doesn't have to qualify based on the stories that we hear from the people around us you know I think most of us here who are married or in relationships in which we've sought any evangelical help have probably been introduced to the idea of the five love languages, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about, okay? What's your love language? Sorry, Rachel, he can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I put you on the spot. I don't remember mine either, except for I recently retook the test just to see because I couldn't remember, but the idea of love languages, which what it means is according to your temperament, there's a way that you hear affection and devotion from someone. And what we tend to do is the way that we hear it is the way we give it to our partner. But the problem is we all have various temperaments. And so we end up getting married to people that have very different love languages. And, um, and so for Jen and I, her love language is an act of service. My love language is not to ask me to do an act of service. So, so there's tension that, that takes place that we have to work through. But I, was, I, I took it for a different reason this time. Because I took it because I wanted to know how I was oriented in my love language so that I can begin to recognize as how the Holy Spirit personally is encountering me at my place of need. If we're smart enough to communicate love via love language, why wouldn't we think the Holy Spirit wouldn't be smart enough to do that too? Which is why we can't compare our spiritual experiences. Based on our temperament, we're going to experience those things in very different ways. So we don't want to close too tightly, define to those, but what we do want to do is become a people who are aware. How has the Spirit encountered you on your journey? How has the Spirit come to you in your despair? How has the Spirit come to you in your confusion or darkness? Or how has the Spirit celebrated with you in your joys? Because it's in in, in discerning this reality that we are empowered to continue to live to be true to Christ, which is in our mission statement to be true to Christ, to be kind to all people and to be the body of Christ in our community and beyond. So what might that mean to be true to Christ? And if it includes learning how to let go of behind and lean into what's ahead, what might that mean for our spiritual practice as we enter into the new year? As we said in our mission statement, we live to be true to Christ and here's how we define that. It means to trust him as savior, to know him as friend, and to obey him as Lord. That's how we understand being true to Christ. Trust him as savior, know him as friend, and obey him as Lord. So my question is, how can you construct practices that relate to the vision of our community, the mission of our community? To know him as savior, to trust him as savior, Are you learning how to live from your identity in Christ so that Jesus can save you from the destructive patterns of your ego? That's my question because too often times we have to pay attention to our language. Our language gets messed up. We think about Jesus saving us. We tend to think of something in the past that there was an event that happened where maybe we said the sinner's prayer or some sort of intervention. And look, there's nothing wrong with celebrating those. We should, we should hold memorials in our heart for God's past faithfulness. But the question is, how did Jesus save you yesterday? See, Christians have this odd way of trying to pursue a lifestyle in which they will no longer need the grace of God or the presence and power of Jesus. Well, that's silly, that's not we're not trying to outgrow our need for jesus we're not trying to outmature our need for grace we want these to be the daily moment by moment realities that sustain us and empower us to continue pressing into whatever it is god has for us to press into and so we ask ourselves how is jesus saving me from the destructive patterns of my ego because you know what? Yesterday he did that. Or yesterday I neglected and in disobedience allowed my ego to win. And you know what happened yesterday when that happened? Death was introduced both in my own soul and to those around me. Because if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you die, you'll be resurrected. Resurrected you'll actually find life. So we're going to talk a little bit more about trusting him as Savior as we close, as we look at a practice called the prayer of examine. Secondly, know him as friend. What are the practices that increase your conversational friendship with him? What are the practices that empower you to become more competent in responding to your intuition? To say we know Christ Means that we have to have the courage to recognize there is a difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. Part of the way you get to know him is to learn about him. I'm not denying that. In fact, I'll have some suggestions on how you might do that later on. I don't want to get too weird on the last day of the year. When was the last time you had a moment where you were aware that your soul was communing with the living Christ presently? That's what I mean by knowing Christ. It means you walk with him through your increasing skill of walking with the Holy Spirit in a way that is contemporary and experiential. Do we read our Bible? Yes. Do we want to learn good, healthy Christology so that we can have the most accurate image of God? Absolutely. But the purpose in learning those things is not in the books. It's in what takes place in our heart when we draw near to the presence of God. Does your faith encourage a practice of communing with the Holy Spirit of Christ? That's what it is to know him, not just know about him. And this is your birthright. This is what you are invited into. So what are the practices that do that for you? It'll look very different for most of us, but a lot of joy and growth can happen when we share our stories with one another because I might discover avenues of experiencing that communion with Christ that I haven't thought about before, but that's part of the joy of community and friendship is we share those stories with one another. But for now, the question is, what are your practices? What are the ones that increase your conversational friendship with Christ? What are the practices that empower you to be competent in responding to your intuition? Why are you using language like that Artie? That's where that sounds kind of new age. No, it's not. It's Galatians 5. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's another way to speak to that intuition. That is how we we, we strengthen our our skill of intuition so that we can increase our experience of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Trust Him as Savior. Know Him as friend. Finally, obey Him as Lord. are you increasing your skill in following the teachings of Jesus it's one of the gripes about my experience of my faith community is that as long as we read and talked about the teachings of Jesus we never got around to talking about our experiences of actually obeying those teachings but Jesus himself has, stopped, has taught us in Matthew 7, 24 and 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Conversely, he'll go on to say, and everyone who hears them and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man. And here's the thing. You can be a foolish Christian or a wise Christian. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're following the ways of Jesus. In fact, it might mean that we've been, we've had, we have just enough churchianity to inoculate us to a passion for obeying Jesus. Because the ground rules of churchianity are actually easier than lose, lay down your life for my sake. They're not enough to satisfy. The adventure comes from being a person who embodies the teachings of Jesus in such a way that you are living them. Now, what could you do? Well, one place you could start is you could read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you're looking for a New Year's challenge, read it every day for 100 days. Not You don't have to do all three chapters. You can rotate it those 100 days It's been a hundred days in the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let it change you. My suggestion is that maybe we need to stop looking for the next experience and instead look for the next obedience. Instead of waiting on something to happen for God to do something, why don't we posture ourselves to look for opportunities to obey the ways of Jesus? And in that living, we might find that something becomes true. I think Jesus said it, that if we love him, we'll obey him. And if we obey him, then he and the father will come to us and make their home with us. We will be living life as God's home and at home in him. So as we get ready to close, Uh, You'll notice on the back of your notes, there is a little prayer exercise, and I want us to do that exercise in a miniature form here today, this morning. Now, it'll be a little bit awkward because I'm going to kind of pray and talk my way through this, but the purpose of this exercise is to recognize that I need a savior against the unhealthy and selfish ego tendencies of my heart. But what I have found that one of, is that one of the greatest enemies of progressing and letting Jesus or the Spirit conquer my ego so that I more uh, intentionally grow in my formation of Christ is simply an awareness. If I don't pause and reflect, it's like the jerkiness is so much an, a part of me on the inside, it just takes over when I just don't even pay attention to it. One of the gifts that the church has given us is this principle, this practice of the prayer of examine. Because in the prayer of examine, I'm not seeking justification for my wounded feelings. I'm not necessarily even seeking consolation, although that's part of it. What I want to do is say, Lord, where am I deceiving myself and still letting the arty ego reign supreme? Where am I still trusting Artie as my personal Lord and Savior? And can I be rescued from those tendencies? Well, unless I pause and reflect, I very rarely get the opportunity to confront those things, unless, you know, I've gone so far that someone confronts me face-to-face because of it. But it's far better to work that into our practice. So as you get ready, as you get comfortable... Let's just talk and pray through these stages of the prayer of examined. All right, so I'd like to begin. Comfortable position. We've put extra money into the chairs you're sitting in. We got the extra thickness so that you are all comfortable. Uh, David Delgado came back from New Mexico to make sure he adjusted the atmosphere so it was prime. So I would like for you to close your eyes. And I... I like to begin my practices with a trinitarian of breaths father son and holy spirit these deep 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 breaths in and I sigh it out and then we begin by asking god for light Lord, we confess that this prayer practice is about more than insight into our behavior, but it is about discovering the ways of salvation that empower us to live free lives in your grace. And oftentimes, the narratives that I lay over the events of my life distract me or hide from me What's really going on? So, I need your light, the light of your presence, to help me see my heart and my life from your perspective. So, I'm asking you for the light of the Spirit as I reflect upon my day. And because we're in the morning, we're going to do this experience based on our life yesterday. Secondly, we move into Thanksgiving. We always begin with gratitude, not with despair or cynicism. For what are you grateful? Use the same thing every day. Marriage, family, a job, living in this time and history, in this place, this land. Or if all else fails, I always can thank God for my dog. God, thank you for the life that you've given us. It is so easy for me to only see the disappointments, but the truth is you've really given us a miraculous life. So you sit in that gratitude for a few minutes and then you review. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see your day clearly. Now, think about your day yesterday. Walk through your day as though you're playing a movie in your mind. From when you woke up, the things you said in the first two hours as you transitioned from slumber to a regular person again. And then what happened? Did you have breakfast, coffee? Did you have a conversation? See that movie. Now, as you're watching that movie play out, are there any particular emotions or moments that stand out? positive or negative. As you think about your day yesterday, were there any conscious consolations? In other words, those times where you were consoled when you felt close to God or you noticed him working in your life? Or did you encounter moments of desolation? Times when you felt far from God and you felt far from being who you know you're called to be. Don't judge them. This isn't a time to judge them and rip your clothes in repentance. This is the time you're just looking at the scenes of yesterday. You just let them pass before your mind, asking God to make you aware of your consolation or desolation moments that you don't even remember. I just got one. I remember a consolation. I remember a moment of desolation. I remember a distinct moment yesterday when I was living from my lower self, not living according to who I'm called to be. That's highlighted in my mind just now. Well, then you respond by facing your shortcomings. Take a moment, talk with God about what stood out from your day yesterday. What might God be telling you through your experiences and feelings? Take a moment, some time to ask forgiveness for the times when you weren't at your best and then offer up more gratitude for the blessings that stood out. So this is where whatever comes to service, you begin to speak to God about it. I do look at that moment where I failed. God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to empower me to not let the shame of that moment grow into an identity struggle today. Give me the grace to let it go and to not only ask for your forgiveness, but to receive it by letting that forgiveness be present in my own heart. In asking forgiveness for my unfaithfulness, I wanna say thank you for your faithfulness to me even in the midst of my unfaithfulness to you. Then after a few moments of that, you'll turn your attention to the following day. In a time of reflection, you'll look to tomorrow. What are you excited for? What are you nervous about? Think about particular times that are facing you tomorrow and walk through your day and with your imagination, visualize God walking with you during that time. And visualize yourself having the wisdom to know your ignorance and to ask for his help. then as we close you just take a few moments where you just think of yourself as just sitting in the presence of God listening to what he has to say finding peace in his presence and again it's just a suggestion it's not a rule but then I like to end with the our father our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. And then take this moment as I was reminded from a friend of mine this morning of this prayer. Because this might not be the fix-it moment. You know there are still struggles. You know there are things I'm still, my ego's still holding on to, Lord. I want to let them go. But at the same time, I want to be honest about the fact that I'm struggling. And so then you pray this prayer. God, cover me with your infinite mercy until I can present to you a heart of sincere repentance. In Jesus' name I pray. And then you may even wanna make this part of your daily practice. Would you all stand because now we will end after reflecting on our day and God's presence in our life by coming to the table of our Lord to be nourished by his blood and his body. We'll start from the back, come forward. You can take the elements, return to your seat, close your prayer of examine with the celebration communion.